0: The Old Testament reading is from Ruth, first chapter, verses 1 through 19. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Milan and Chilion, and they were Ephrodites, from the Bethlehem in in Judea. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Opa and the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Milan and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, "'Go, return each of you to her mother's house.' May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you might find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I may be your, that, that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Opa kissed her her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more so also if any one but death, anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ.
1: Okay, Philippians 3, uh, 20 and 21. Uh, You'll know if you've been here the past few weeks, and if you haven't been here the past few weeks, uh, just go and, uh, when you get a chance, read Philippians 3. Uh, That Paul is challenging our idols. Paul is challenging us finding our identity in things other than Jesus Christ finding our identity in our social standing, in our socioeconomic worth. And he's going to challenge, in these two verses, he's going to challenge the Colossians at their particular place of pride. It's a particular place where they find their identity, where they're tempted to find their identity outside of Jesus. So let me read it real quick here. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So the first thing he says in here, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at, there's basically four lines in these two verses. Um, the first one is, but our citizenship is in heaven. And let's kind of just start with that and then walk our way through the rest of the text. The, um, Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. One of, the ch- one of the challenges, do you guys remember this from when we first started talking about Philippians? Uh, the, the city of Philippi, The reason why this is a challenge for the Philippians, that he would say our citizenship is in heaven, is because the city of Philippi was a colony of Rome. So Philippi is in uh, northern Greece, and unlike almost all the other cities in the Roman Empire outside of Rome itself, the people who lived there weren't citizens of Rome by birth. You could earn your citizenship in Rome. You could buy your citizenship in Rome. If you were a citizen, it meant you were allowed to vote. It meant you were allowed to, it, you, you were allowed to truly own your own land. Uh, you were allowed to run for public office in elections. Uh, most of the people who lived in the Roman Empire were not Roman citizens. And th- there was a spectrum of rights that you could have leading up to that. You know, st- on one end of the spectrum being slavery. And then on the other end of the spectrum being Roman citizen. You could be somewhere in the middle, you could be a free person, you could have the Roman rights, which was kind of like a poor man's citizenship, had some of the honors of citizenship, but not the whole thing. The people in Philippi, on the other hand, were full-blown, even though they lived in Greece, that city was a full-blown Roman colony. If you lived in the city of Philippi, you were, by rights, a citizen of the city of Rome, even though you lived hundreds of miles away in a different country. The reason why is, do you remember this? Is that, um, after the Battle of Actium, Octavius settled all of his soldiers in this city. And as gratitude for fighting for him against Mark Antony in the Battle of Actium, he said, I'm going to give you and all of your family after you in this city, Roman citizenship, full, full citizenship in the city of Rome. And, uh, this was, they were extremely, in the ancient world, this isn't just Paul talking. In the ancient world, they were extremely proud of this citizenship. Paul, and, and you know, I mean, certainly civic pride is a good thing, right? But this is this is the sort of thing that for them was becoming a temptation to find their identity. For Paul, it was his standing in the Jewish world. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Go back and look at the uh, first part of chapter 3. He was a Pharisee. He could trace his Jewish lineage. He was, according to the law, blameless, he said. Now for you guys... In Philippi, it's going to be something else. You need to remember that your citizenship, which for them is actually the word politics is a part of this Greek word. For them, they were super prideful of this fact that that was their status. All the cities around them, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, none of them were Roman colonies. Philippi was, and it was something for them to be proud of. And Paul wants to challenge them That your citizenship actually isn't first to Rome. Your citizenship is in heaven. For us too, I don't know, for for some of you, this is uh, not a big deal. So Paul's, and for some of you it is, Paul kind of bounces around here touching on different sorts of idols. For some of you though, your citizenship in the United States is like a source of uh, deep personal pride. And what Paul is saying here is that you are not first and foremost a citizen of the United States. That is not first and foremost your loyalty. Your loyalty first and foremost is to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. Paul's going to challenge our political idols here. In fact, if you look farther in, in, in verse 20 here, there's two words which we just assume are religious words, Savior and Lord, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first century, those are very political words. In fact, you can find inscriptions all over the Roman Empire which refer to Caesar Octavius Caesar, in fact, as Savior. And Lord was one of the main titles of the Caesars. The confession that Caesar is Lord, which everybody in the Roman Empire had to confess at least once a year in a temple to Caesar. Starting around Paul's time, even more, uh, uh, even more strict rules about that in the, in the decades following. Everybody had to go to a, a temple built to Caesar. There were two of them in Israel at the time and confess that Caesar is Lord. You had to go in and say Caesar is Lord. When the earliest Christian church confessed that Jesus is Lord, it's not just this sort of religious thing, like Jesus is the creator of the world, Jesus died for my sins, Jesus rose from the dead. That's all true, but because of that, it is a very, very political thing to say. It's saying that I don't believe that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is important. We honor Caesar. But the things that Caesar demands out of us when it comes to worship are not things that we can give him. And so Paul's encouraging us to see our citizenship, not to a political entity, not to a country, but first and foremost to Jesus. We do this a lot in the Christian church. And again, this is a generational thing. The younger you are, uh, the less of a, uh, an idol this is for you. You've got your own set of idols. Uh, older Christians are discouraged by you not grappling with this idol. Uh, As a church that I was a member of. uh, where in the lobby in the narthex. Uh, there was a banner up every year at Memorial Day and Veterans Day, and the banner said, you guys have seen stuff like this before, only two people have ever died for you, Jesus and the American soldier. It's super easy to start to conflate our love of our country with our Christianity as though patriotism is itself a Christian quality. And Paul is saying here, no, your citizenship is not in the United States. Your citizenship is in heaven. There's a sense in which your citizenship, of course, is in the United States, right? I'm also going to ask you, let me pause just for a second and ask for your guys' grace here. I, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that your country's not important. I'm not saying that patriotism's not important. I'm not saying that being faithful and serving with civic pride, the country that God has placed you in is not important. I'm saying don't find your identity in that. Don't allow that to become a spot of worship. Don't allow it to become an idol. Your citizenship ultimately is in heaven. It's an easy step from this sort of conflation. You know, only two people have died for you, Jesus and the American soldier. It's an easy step from that sort of conflation to saying, well, the true Americans are the true Christians. And usually you and I define true Americans as the people that belong to our favorite political party. And the others are not true Americans. They are in some sense betrayers of the American ideal. And what we have to be what we have to be guarded against is this falling into the trap of making not just our country, but making our political party our identity point. Of saying, I can't understand how anybody who isn't a, who who's a Christian could belong to that other political party. I'm not again. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that politics is not important. I'm not saying that it's not important to vote. I'm not saying it's not important to vote with your Christian conscience. What I'm saying is, don't co-opt Jesus into your politics. Don't take Jesus and make him a part of your political platform plank. Don't turn him into a service, a servant of your political system. That's the temptation. Both political parties do it and both political parties are wrong. The reality of the New Testament is this. Jesus sits in judgment on your favorite political party. All authority, all power will someday, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Philippians 2 says, all the authorities all the political powers all the kings and queens of the universe all the presidents all the prime ministers will someday be forced to bow the knee and submit that they are not lord but Jesus is lord this is not something that's going to be comfortable for many of them who demand your undying loyalty they demand your 100% following no questions asked only Jesus gets that sort of only Jesus gets that sort of loyalty from the christian church because only Jesus is lord the reason why our citizenship is in heaven is because in heaven is this Savior who we are awaiting. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is, I said to Angela this week, I said, so uh, this is the sermon text for a couple weeks. This actually said this last week. What's a good hymn to sing? What, what's a good hymn for us to sing with this sermon text, our citizenship is in heaven? And she said, and she was joking around, she said, we should sing this world is not my home, I'm just a passenger. Does anybody, do you guys know that song? That was a song that we sang uh, when I was growing up. It's kind of a gospel style song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Uh, and now I don't remember the words. Something about mansions away beyond the blue. We have hymns like that in our hymn book too. Uh, I'm just a stranger here. This notion that earth is not where you belong. You, you, your citizenship is in heaven. You are a spiritual creature. And you're down here, unfortunately, trapped in this bad physical body in this bad physical world. But thank goodness, someday you're going to die and float up to be a disembodied spirit amongst the clouds. That's not the image here. When Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, he is not saying this world is not important. The only thing that's important is floating up to the sky someday and playing that harp up on that cloud. He's not saying that. What he's saying is your citizenship is in heaven because we're waiting here on this earth For Jesus to come back. We're waiting for our Savior and Lord to come here. The only reason our citizenship is in heaven because that's where our ruler is at. However, someday, as Paul says, He's coming down here. We're not going up there. More on that in a second, but He's coming down here. Verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body? Jesus has a glorious body now. He rose from the dead. Jesus is a human. You guys know this, right? God became a human in Jesus of Nazareth. Forever and for always, Jesus will be a human. He will be the God-man. Right now, somewhere, Jesus has a body. The body that he was born with on that first Christmas. The body that died. The body that rose from the dead. It's a glorious body now. It's a perfect body. It's all-powerful. It can never be killed again. It can never be made sick again. Jesus, when he returns, is going to transform our bodies, verse 21 says, our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. This is what we're waiting for. Let me just explain this for, for, uh, for, for, uh, um, real quickly if I can to you. I had a conversation this week with a student at the high school who came and talked to me, uh, during kind of an off period and said, he said, I, I, I want to talk to you because I'm just scared to death of the resurrection of the dead. It just freaks me out. And I hear, uh, uh, pastors talk about it in chapel and at my church. And I I don't want to, there's, I don't want to die. You know, you start talking about resurrection of the dead and I'm just reminded that someday, like, I'm going to die and I don't want to die. I, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be excited about going to heaven, but there's something sort of scary about that, like your body decomposing and your soul floating off up into the sky. And I got to say to him, look, that's not the story of the Bible. The resurrection of the dead doesn't mean you going to heaven when you die. The resurrection of the dead means that Jesus is going to raise your body from the dead and make it perfect like his body is now. So quick explanation. Uh, sorry, this is a little bit pedantic. Here you are. God created you with a body and a soul. It's the same way he created Adam and Eve. It's the same way he created your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids and so on bodies and soul. Jesus himself, he has a body and he has a soul and they go together. They're not designed to be separated. But because we sinned and rebelled against God, death enters the picture. And unfortunately, at some point, our souls and our bodies are going to be separated from death. You are temporarily, it's a super important word. Those of you who are Christians, temporarily when you die, your souls are going to be separated from the bo- your body And your soul is going to go up to heaven to be with Jesus. And your body is going to decompose here on earth. That is temporary. That is not the main goal in Scripture. The main goal is when Jesus returns, He brings your soul with Him, raises your body from the dead. That's what verse 21 is talking about. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. He's going to reunite your soul and body together just like it is now, only perfect, not liable to sin anymore not liable to sorrow anymore, not liable to sickness and death anymore, not liable to brokenness anymore. He's going to reunite your body and soul. He's going to come. Jesus is going to come here. Check out the language in verse 20 one more time. From it, we're awaiting a savior. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for our savior to come here. We're not waiting for him to take us up there. We're waiting for Jesus to come back here, raise our bodies from the dead, and we will rule over this new creation forever and ever with Jesus as our Lord and Master. Now, he's going to do this by the power, last line of verse 21, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The goal isn't to get you to heaven when you die. The goal isn't even, although we're getting closer to the truth here, the goal isn't even just to raise you from the dead, or just to raise us from the dead. The goal for Jesus is to subject all things to himself is to rule and reign over all creation, to take back what was stolen from him in the Garden of Eden. That's Jesus' plan. That's why he saved you. That's why he's called you here. Not just to benefit you psychologically or spiritually or so that you know that you have a home with him someday, but to be his agents, to take back his whole creation, which takes us back full circle to the notion of citizenship. Let's go back to that. What does it mean? When Paul talked about citizenship to the people in Philippi, what would they have heard? First of all, they were citizens of Rome, and that meant that they in Philippi, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, across the Adriatic Sea, were a Roman colony. That's what they were. They were, it was their job to represent Rome in Greece. They were to live in Greece. They were actually, many of them ethnically Greek, but they were to be Romans in Greece. This is one of the things that Paul is saying here. You guys, St. James Lutheran Church, God has made you a colony of the kingdom of God here in the United States. You should be a good citizen of the United States. But your first responsibility is not to be a good citizen of the United States, but to be a good citizen of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And that means that our job is to colonize Glen Carbon. We are to be his advance guard in Glen Carbon. Look, His plan is, and he is going to accomplish this plan because he is Lord of the universe. His plan is to someday rule over all of Glen Carbon in righteousness. And he's letting me and you be a part of this advance guard. He's letting you and I be the colonists to accomplish this. He's letting us be here representing him. He's letting us be the citizens of the kingdom of God Here in the United States. And what that means is, is that we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. We are to live as the weirdos of Glen Carbon. Whereas all of Glen Carbon, all of, all of the world, including Glen Carbon, works on the principle that power is the name of the game. We are to be the ones that abandon power. That money is the name of the game. We are the ones that abandon lust for money. Lust for material things. That controlling our territory is the name of the game. We are the ones who give that up. That personal rights is the point of of, of human existence. We are called to be the ones to abandon our personal rights. And when we do in the name of Jesus, as the colony of Jesus Christ in Glen Carbon, by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the word and sacraments, He will use us to advance His kingdom, to rule and reign so that even all of Glen Carbon will be subjected to Himself. Amen.